Good morning and welcome to Revenue Marketing Television, the video channel dedicated to thought leadership from the world's top marketing executives and experts. I am your host, Jeff Pedowitz, President and CEO of Pedowitz Group. Today's guest is Joe Polizzi. Joe is founder of the Content Marketing Institute, author of Content Inc., popular speaker and entrepreneur. He is a content marketing expert dedicated to helping companies grow profits by creating better content. He's one of the founders of the content marketing movement, launching what is now the Content Marketing Institute back in 2007 as a true online resource for those interested in content marketing and brand storytelling. Joe started using the term content marketing back in 2001. CMI publishes Chief Content Officer Magazine and produces Content Marketing World, the premier international event for content marketing, now the largest content marketing event in the world. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Jeff, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And uh, so I understand congratulations are in order. You uh, successfully sold your company to UBM last week. We did, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're super excited about it. Uh, it really what we're trying to do is how do we take content marketing and the approach to more people around the world and uh, UBM is a large international events company they're very excited and passionate about what we're doing in content marketing and we were like this is a great marriage that we could uh, take content marketing to more people throughout the world so uh, yeah thank you very much super excited a lot of work still left to do but oh, sure. uh, you know, yeah, acquisitions are smooth right they just you know you're <laughs> You do what you got to do, right? It's all good. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Now, are you going to keep all the branding the same, or is anything going to change? Uh, you know, we we haven't gotten into those discussions. I mean, for the most part, everyone recognizes the content marketing world and content marketing institute brands. So we're just going to leave them there. I'm sure you know you're going to see the UBM uh, blue anywhere on the sites and things like that as we go. But for the most part, um, you know, they're basically saying business as usual. Go forward. We got to keep educating. We got a lot of work to do uh, to talk to as many marketers as we can, and uh, and so they're they're pretty much hands off. I know how these things work, though. There will be changes at some point, uh, but right now we're just focused on you know we're we're a few months out from Content Marketing World, September sixth or ninth. So it's heads down, making sure that we create a first class event for the people coming into Cleveland. That's awesome, and uh, again, congratulations. Thank you. So, obviously, you're a content evangelist, and content's been a part of marketing forever. But demand generation continues to change, and as it pro proliferates across multiple channels, how is the role of content changing as it relates to demand gen? Uh, I guess I'm gonna, Jeff. I'm, I'm gonna tell you where I think it should go. I think that in historically, let's say over the past five years, a lot of demand gen programs are campaign based. And we get it, right? You and I both know. We're in, we live in a campaign world. Let's do these ebook programs, these webinar programs, whatever it takes to drive demand, leads, and on, on through the funnel, um, which is fine, and that will always be the case. But what I think, if you're asking me for best case scenario, it's that we create, we focus on a particular target audience, we focus on what their needs are, and we satisfy those needs ongoing with amazing information consistently over time. So I think some of the best demand generation programs are that they're, they're programs, they're ongoing programs. They don't just happen in a three to six to nine month uh, uh, section of time. It's 
this is a promise to our customers and we end up seeing some of the ROI from, oh, we're, we're driving subscribers. Those subscribers end up knowing, liking, and trusting us more. Uh, they, when they are at a point where they're looking to make some kind of a decision or get involved in the purchase process, they don't even go outside. They already know, like, and trust us. They believe in us. We've been delivering them thought leadership information, and they're like, okay, great. I'm going to go with that company. I think that's the best approach to do that. If as long as you're patient, as long as you have a focus on the audience's needs, I think that's where we're going to be headed, hopefully, because I think less content is more these days. We're not we're not going to be creating more and more content. I think what we've seen with all the research is focus content on your target audience. And maybe it's not, I don't have to create content every day. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's three times a week, whatever it is. But it needs to be consistent. It needs to be targeted. And uh, and that's hopefully what we'll see in the future. You know, I, I think that in itself is a compelling message because I know a lot of marketing executives are just overwhelmed with trying to figure out how to produce all the content, where to get it sourced from. Um, what are some strategies that executives are using to generate content? Because almost every firm I know, big and small, is resource constrained. Well, the first thing is, if you so if you look at the research that Content Marketing Institute has been doing with marketing profs every year, it, the average enterprise talks to one group of people, one audience, or persona base, in 13 to 15 different ways. First of all, that's too much. That there's no reason why we need to do this, but for some reason, because we felt because, oh, we, we can, that we should. I don't agree that's wow. the way that we need to go. So I think that the first thing that you do is instead of being everywhere, you say, where can we be great? Where can we really make an impact? So maybe it's not 13 to 15, Jeff, maybe it's five to seven. That you're really, maybe you're using those other channels as listening posts, research, whatever the case is, but you're not delivering valuable content. So that's the first thing. I would like to see, instead of us doing a mediocre job in all these channels, I would like us to really create value in a certain set of channels. If you look at it that way, and if we're talking to CMOs, Jeff, that's that's the best thing that I can do first off, because then you're not like, oh, we don't have to be doing all of these things. Like I always joke, I was in a presentation the other day talking to a bunch of B2B marketers, and I'm like, how's that Facebook page working for you? Right? It's probably not. It's They probably don't even know why they have it. So the first thing I'd like to do is go through the list of all the stuff you're doing, figure out what the real reason is you're doing that e-newsletter, that webinar program, that Facebook page, Twitter account, whatever, and then maybe you'll make some decisions that you shouldn't be doing those things. And then that gets you a point where, okay, now what's what resources do we need to be great with those individual things? And then we can get into the conversations of employees, freelancers, influencers, other folks like that. But I think you have to first make the hard decisions first on strategy, and then you can go to execution. It makes a lot of sense. So are you seeing skills change at all for today's marketer? Working with content, is it any different than it was a few years back? Uh, some companies are treating it not any different at all, and I think those are the ones that are in trouble. <laughs> I think that, yes, uh, we, we've ha always had this storytelling muscle. Uh, companies have told stories for years, but in the days of mass media, then in the targeted mass media, we stopped using that muscle. That muscle is atrophied, and we basically got used to talking about ourselves in lots of different ways. And even if you look at content marketing today, that's most of what you see about content marketing and storytelling. It's basically, oh, yeah, we've got this great product or service, and we're going to sort of tell a story around it. We're going to call it content marketing. Well, really not so much. I think the – it's interesting. This is more on the B2C side, but we're seeing this. If you look at 
course, everybody talks about Red Bull as the poster child. But then look at the couple recent announcements. Look at what Pepsi decided to do. Look at what Mondelez decided to do. They, they're creating content marketing as a profit center. That's new and unique and saying, look, we can really create demand and also at the same time we can monetize in multiple different ways, not just off of selling products and services, but to actually monetize like a media company does. So then look at what skills it takes to get there. We need really hardcore publishing skills. We need to understand the business models of publishing. We need to understand content creation, distribution, promotion, and measurement. This is what publishers have been doing since the dawn of time. So my idea of what is the marketing department of the future? Of course, we'll still be doing advertising and traditional marketing. Those things don't go away. But in a lot of cases, what are we missing? We're missing basic publishing operations. Okay, so then how are firms staffing and organizing? Are they hiring journalists? Are they reaching out to people that work with publishers? I mean, where, where are they getting this type of skill? I'll, uh, so I'll give you an example that will, that will answer your question. So there's a, uh, there was a, Technology media companies about six months ago, and they were under hard times because they were having trouble getting advertising to support their program. Uh, they had about 15 to 20 editors, audience development managers, um, journalists, and they were all let go. And within a week, one, comp one technology company hired all of them. The, the CMO of that technology company called up the publisher and said, I know you're under hard times, but thank you so much because we needed that talent. That's what's happening right now. So basically, the people that have been doing those core operations in media for a long time and understand, they have a nose for a story, they understand how to tell a story, they understand how to monetize stories in certain ways, they understand the, you know, how to figure out the needs of a target audience and tell a story around that, they're being hired. By, uh, by technology companies, by B2B brands, by B2C brands. So if you're a storyteller of some kind and you're looking for, okay, what's the future? Where should I go? The 99% of the jobs are going to be on the brand side and those companies are hiring at will. So that means that you need publisher types. You need a chief content officer or editor roles. Uh, you need journalists that, or, or people that have a nose for the story that can tell uh, compelling stories on a consistent basis. Then you need technology integrators that understand, okay, how do we take that data that we're going to get and then how do we figure out how is our behavior changing with the people that we're reaching on an ongoing basis? And then you go through the regular funnel process. Okay, well, you know, are we scoring those subscribers in some way? From those subscribers, are we getting leads out of those those folks? So it's just interesting to see how that, how that goes. And when I look at marketing departments today from some of these innovative companies, I look and I say, oh, my God, that's 20 years ago at the media companies I, I was working for. That's exactly what it is right now. Okay, now, you mentioned technology integration. So uh, marketing automation certainly can handle some of the scoring. But what about um, the sourcing, the distribution, the management, the operationalizing of the content? Are you seeing technologies out there that companies are starting to adopt that, that help manage this better? Actually, I just saw a research study the other day, you probably saw it too, that said the average marketer uses six pieces of technology just for to figure out return on investment of, of their different analytics and stuff like that. We're in no shortage of technology, as you know, Jeff. There's plenty of technology out there. Look at the content. Stack, right? 3,000 and growing. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> so. exactly. Yeah, look at Brinker's report, uh, how, many, how many are out there now. But if you, if you look at all the different functions, there is not one 
piece of software that does everything. I don't know if there ever will be. I mean, everybody wants the holy grail. Even they expect marketing automation to do a lot of that heavy lifting, and it's not supposed to in a lot of cases. So from a, you know, from a content uh, collaboration standpoint, you have uh, you know, how do I work with my team members? How do I get approvals internally and externally? How do I handle workflow? How do I handle uh, you know the editorial calendar? Those are all. Those could be one, two, or three different pieces of software that you have. Those can integrate really well into your marketing automation and your email programs. Your marketing automation then, of course, uh, should integrate into your CRM system, and you can use that as your subscriber audience management database between your marketing automation and your CRM system. Um, to be honest with you, technology is not the issue. Most of the time when we talk to CMOs and then content marketing groups, they have no formal strategy. They're doing a lot of campaigns, they're doing a lot of short form programs, and they don't have a long term goal <clears throat> to build an audience of any kind, to build an asset. They're treating it like advertising and that's what makes me nervous. So I mean, I, I know sort of what, what your role is and when you look at technology integration, we always say, look, build your strategy first. Figure out where the pain hurts the most that you should add in a piece of technology, a technology layer. But I don't want you to add any technology before you actually know that you really, really need it. Because what I see first, especially with marketing automation, people say, oh, we need marketing automation. They go out and buy this, but they don't have a good strategy to how to implement it. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a big waste of time and money. And then they sort of have to back into it and use it the right way. So no, I'd like to say the same figure thing. out the strategy yeah. first. Right? No, we, we say the same thing. Uh, someone was asking me last week about you know, agile marketing and is it important to go fast? And I, and I responded that, yes, it is important to be fast in today's business climate, but you can't do that without strategy and planning so if you just kind of jump in there and you're moving moving then you're actually going to end up making it worse right because you're going to you're going to fail faster and you make mistakes faster so i would imagine the same thing happens with content also um, yeah I, I always say wait till it hurts really bad like <laughs> you're like oh we just can't do it this way any longer and then go get your technology and that's just the way that i feel because most of the time where it goes wrong is they they try to implement too soon before they really really need it or really have a strategy that's going to work for them no great great advice so from a measurement standpoint though when you're getting content right what types of outcomes are you looking for what should executives be measuring as it relates to strategic use of content there's, there's only three reasons. I'm going to add a fourth now, which I've been adding into my new presentations. We're trying to either drive sales, save costs, or create more loyal customers. Sales saving sunshine, as we call it. The fourth one is now content marketing as profit center, which we talked about. Red Bull, Pepsi, Mondelez. They're starting to do that. So I think there's four really solid ways you can look at that. Okay, how do I measure that? There's lots of different ways to measure it based on if you're going to do lead scoring, whether or not you're looking at audience behavior in different ways. The best way to do it, at least to start, is if you're building an audience. Let's say you're building an audience and people are, are opting into, let's say, your email subscription list database. You now have an audience. You have an audience that is engaging in your content. You can now take that database, that subscription database, and you can overlay that with your customer database. And you can start to look at what's different. Do they buy more? Do they stay longer? Do they close faster? It's actually, you don't need a lot of technology to do that. It's a very simple thing to do. And you might be asking, well, why don't more businesses do it? Because more businesses don't do that because they don't spend time to build the subscriber database. 
They have lots of lists. They have lots of leads, but they don't have a real hardcore subscriber database like you'd think an Inc. magazine does or a fast company where they've created their whole business models off the back of, an, of building an audience. So if you think about if you're a CMO, we're talking to a CMO and we're talking about creating content. Content is not the asset. The asset is building the audience. That's the asset. Content gets you there. So all, if I can get to the audience without content, I don't want to create any content. I just want the audience. But we know to, to get and keep an audience, we need to create content. So I think some people get sort of talk about, oh, we want to build all these content assets. Well, yeah, you can call them content assets, but the only reason why we call them content assets is because we need to get to the audience. So that's where I really want to look at. What's the difference between somebody that subscribes and engages in my content versus somebody that doesn't? It's a very simple mathematical calculation that if you've got the data, if you've got a marketing automation system, you even have an email database, you can start to do those calculations and find out so what's going you, on. You mentioned subscriber a lot. What are your thoughts then on the balance between, let's say, ungated content that gets shared via LinkedIn sure. or SlideShare or Facebook or just on our website versus how much of it should be gated and, and then a true subscription format? Um, it's going to be anywhere in the 90s and 10s. Um, generally, if I'm looking at somebody that consistently publishes on an ongoing basis, it's probably more like 98 to 98% of that content is free-flowing, ungated, and then 2% is very specifically driven to, to build subscribers. You've got ebooks, you've got webinar programs, uh, you've got white papers, those types of things that are specific with landing pages and you're doing the whole thing that you're supposed to be doing with your calls to action. The 98% is the kind that, that's the kind that you find in search, that's the kind that people share in social, and then you drive them to those landing pages of the 2% that gave people to sign up. So, it, you know, there's no perfect calculation, but I know that most organizations, if you go into, most of their content is about their own products and services, and a lot of that is gated. They don't have enough free-flowing, shareable, valuable information to drive enough attention to pe for people to actually want to subscribe. Interesting. So um, any examples on the B2B side where companies are using content effectively to drive demand? Well, I mean, I have to mention my favorite case study of all time, John Deere. John Deere launched the Furrow Magazine. It's now digital subscription and print. Uh, they launched it in 1895, and they launched it to target small business farmers and how they could be more effective. And over that time, they barely talk about their own products and services. But if you said, Joe, who's the largest media company in the farming agricultural industry? I would say it's John Deere. They got 1.5 million subscribers, 40 countries, 14 different languages. I mean, that's the kind of program that we're talking about that really, really works. Uh, another B2B example that I love is Indium. Indium Corporation, they have a blog called From One Engineer to Another. Uh, they, they wanted to become the leading experts in industrial soldering equipment, like the most boring piece of content you type of content you could think of, but they've become the leading expert. They started a blog in 2005. They set up all their calls to action, subscriber database, and it's completely changed their organization. They have really become the leading expert and they haven't needed to do a lot of the traditional advertising and marketing that you would think a manufacturer would need to do to drive demand because they already have the audience that knows, likes, and trusts them. They already have the, the subscriber database. So that's just a couple of examples. You know, you could talk about the HubSpots and the Marketos of the world that have done that same type of thing and built into multi-billion dollar companies by doing that exact same thing, even our, our own industry. So I think the, the core of this is what's successful. 
targeted a specific audience, delivered valuable information to them, ongoing, ungated. They built a subscriber database, and then over time, as they built a relationship with those people, they were able to monetize by selling more products and services. It's actually not a difficult model at all. It's just that most people don't have the patience to get through the entire life cycle. It's hard, right, because everyone's constantly under pressure and reacting and just taking the time to plan. So in closing, if you could give one good piece of advice to CMOs that are getting started on their content operations strategy, what would it be? Uh, I would say start small. Start as a pilot program. Uh, for the most part, this is something that's new and different to the organization that you haven't done before. So, so what, what are you going to do that's going to really make an impact? Start with some low-hanging fruit. Target one particular audience. Uh, do something really well, tell a different story to them, and then do something consistently, build your subscriber database over time, and then measure that. And then you work all the bugs on that one. Uh, and then once you get something figured out, you're like, oh, we do this really well, we do that really well, this is how we measure that, then you can go to audience two. Because the one thing you got to remember is, if you let's say that you have seven to nine buyers, decision makers, influencers in, in your buying process, that's maybe 12 to 18 months if you're a B2B company, uh, if you have to have a separate content marketing mission for each audience, if you're going to target that audience, you can't say, oh, we're going to target three personas with this effort. You can't do that. Once you target more than one audience, you're already irrelevant. So you actually have to have separate strategies. So if you want to do this, you have to make a decision who you're going to communicate with and who you're not going to communicate with this uh, with a content marketing approach. So I'd say start small, start focused, get a champion in your organization that really is going to take this on and move forward with it. Practice on that. Go 6 to 12 months to 18 months, work out all the bugs, and then you can go to the next and to the next and to the next. But if you try to do more than one time, you're probably you know, trying to bite off more than you could chew at this point. Great, Joe. Thank you so much. Uh, your expertise is always valued, and it's always great speaking with you, so thank you. Jeff, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet.